Good morning. Welcome, everybody. We're going to get started with the reading of the word. This is from Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Eden. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will be recovered. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. So if you had come and you were expecting to see Will, he is out of town, and so you get me instead, but I hope that's okay. Um, we are in the book of Numbers right now. We're going through a series called Moses, the Man of God, and we're seeing how Moses, the Man of God, is pointing us ultimately to Jesus, the Son of God. Have you ever been waiting for something and it feels like it is taking just forever Yes. Okay. Yeah. Waiting, waiting is no fun. I remember one time I had ordered pizza online and they had told me the order was ready. And so I was like, all right, so I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to the drive-thru window, pick up the pizza and go home so we can eat it. Right. Well, I drive up to the drive-thru window. They're like, the pizza's not ready yet. So just pull forward a little bit and we'll bring it out whenever it's ready. I was like, okay, cool. Like maybe 10 minutes or so. Well, 10 minutes goes by. 20 minutes go by. I'm like watching YouTube videos on my phone, just waiting. And then someone comes out and they're like, what, what are you waiting for? And I'm like, I'm waiting for pizza that I had ordered online. They're like, oh yeah, we just put it in the oven. It should be ready soon. And I was like, okay. So then it goes 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I sat there an hour waiting for my pizza. I was like, oh no, this is, this is no good. But I was still nice. I was nice to them. And then it ended up that I got free pizza because I was nice to them. They're like, you don't have to pay for it. And then they said, do you want dessert too? And I was like, mm-hmm, get that, that cinnamon roll. And so it, it turned out okay in the end, but waiting is just never fun. And sometimes waiting is more serious than just like a couple pizzas, right? Sometimes waiting is more serious than that. It could be that you're waiting to get a better job. Maybe you're stuck in a job where you're not quite making the money that you need to be making for your family or something like that, and you're waiting to get a new job. That's, that's not fun. Or maybe you're waiting for a spouse. You've been single for a long time, and you are thinking to yourself, I, I want to get married one day, but I haven't found the right person yet, and maybe you're waiting for that or maybe you are married and you're waiting to have a kid. You've been trying to have a child for a while, but the Lord hasn't seen fit to give you a child yet, and you're waiting for that. No matter what season you are in of waiting, waiting is never fun. It's always difficult. And sometimes when you're in the midst of waiting, it's easy to forget how good God is. It's easy to blame him. It's easy to forget his goodness and his faithfulness to you. 
But what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that even in the midst of waiting, we can trust in Jesus because he gives us eternal life. So let's pray and then we'll jump into the passage. Lord Jesus, would you speak through me this morning? Would you speak through your word? Uh, Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand the words that you want to tell us? That we would have um, the, the, the right heart, that we would be humble. Lord, I pray that um, you would give us the power to obey you this morning. That you would take hearts of stone and you would turn them into hearts of flesh so that you can work and mold us and shape us into your image. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see in verses 4 and 5 is that the people are grumbling against God. Let's read those verses. It says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses, saying, Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. So we kind of jump in in the middle of a story here. Like, what, what in the world is going on? What has happened that they are in this situation? Well, the context is that God had miraculously delivered his people from Egypt. They had escaped the people of Egypt. They had gone all the way to the Red Sea, and they were stuck, and Egypt was coming behind them. Well, God had miraculously showed up faithful, and he opened up the Red Sea so that they could go through on dry land. And then when they had come to the other side of the Red Sea, he closed it on their enemies. So he had proven he was faithful. Then he took them all the way to the land that he had promised to give them. And when they came to the edge of the land, they sent out spies into the land. And they came back and they gave a bad report. They said, it's too hard. The people are too big. We'll never make it. They had just forgotten what God had just done. They failed to enter the land. And then they tried to appoint a new leader. They were like, let's, let's get ourselves a new leader and let him take us back to Egypt because it was better in Egypt than here in the wilderness. And then the Levites, the priests, the people who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people, they rebelled too. And they, they, they were saying slanderous things against Moses and Aaron, the leaders that God had set up. And then we, we saw last week that even Moses and Aaron sinned, that they were supposed to speak to the rock and water was going to come out, but instead they got angry and frustrated with the people. They said, you rebels, must we bring water from this rock? And so it's been a continual story of failure after failure after failure after failure and God being faithful again and again and again and again to his people. And here we are again. The people are grumbling and complaining. But let's pay attention to where the people are. What's the location? It says they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. They were passing by the Red Sea. The Red Sea, the place where God had showed his faithfulness to his people, where he had split that open. And they should have remembered God's faithfulness to them as they were passing by this water. But instead they forgot They had forgot how he had shown up faithful time and time and time again, and they didn't trust him to bring them into the land that he had promised. Even though he said, I'm going to bring you into the land, they said, it's taking forever. I don't think you're going to do it. And they didn't trust in him. 
So even though God has shown up faithful over and over and over and over again, the people's response to his faithfulness is that they grew impatient on the journey. They wanted to go on ahead from where he had them in that moment. And they grumble against the very provision that God had given them. They needed food in the wilderness because it's hard to get food in the wilderness. So God miraculously made manna fall from heaven every day that they would wake up. There would be manna for them to eat. And this is the very thing that they are grumbling about. The provision of God is the thing that they are complaining to God about. How many times do we do this? God has given us good gifts, and instead of thanking him for those good gifts, we are grumbling and complaining about the gift that he has given us. This is like, it takes me back to the the garden with Adam and Eve. God asked Adam, why have you done this thing? He's like, the woman that you gave me caused me to do this. That's a good gift from God, but he, he flipped it around and said, why did you do that? Why did you give me her? Often we end up trampling over the good gifts that God has given us because we're trying to move on to something that God's not ready to give us yet. We need to cherish the good gifts that he's given us because they are good. He has provided so much for us. And we need to, we need to count those provisions. We need to, to look at them, take inventory, say, what are the ways that you have blessed me? I want to give praise to you for this. Instead of moving on to the next thing, saying, what is the next thing that you're going to give me? I'm ready. What's the next thing? I remember before I was working here at the church, um, I was in college. I was married. I had, uh, my, my son was born, or maybe not yet born, but he was pretty soon to be born. And um, I was working doing construction. Now, I had grown up doing construction with my dad, and I knew from the age of like 12 that I didn't want to do that when I grew up. I was like, nope, this is not for me. I want to work where there's air conditioning. And that's how I felt. And so I ended up in college. I needed money because uh, I, I had a family to provide for. And I had to do construction for a while so that I could provide. And now when I first got the job, it was supposed to be three months of me working at this job. Well, three months turned into six months. I'm applying for more jobs, applying here, applying there, trying to get a marketing job or a videography job, anything but construction. Well, the Lord saw it fit that I would stay in construction for over a year. And that year of waiting, I wish I could say that I had a good attitude and I said, thank you, God, for providing this job for me, but I didn't. I was grumbling and complaining. I was frustrated and angry all the time. And I was like, why do I have this terrible job? I want a different job. But God was providing for my family during that season through that job. It was a good gift that he had given to me. And because I was ready to move on to the next thing, I was missing the blessing that he was giving me there in that moment. And it turned out, that of course God knew best because I graduated college and two weeks after I graduated college, I was, or two weeks before, I was meeting with Will, Pastor Will here, um, and I was talking to him about my job situation of like, I've been applying for all these different jobs, nothing, no one's even calling me back. And he was like, do you want to work at the church and start interning here? I was like, yeah. 
Well, God, God has perfect timing, and he works things out the way that he wants to work things out. But so often we don't trust that. So often we're ready to move on to the next thing. And these people are eating the manna that God's providing, saying, we detest this wretched food. It's nasty. Well, the people's continual grumbling eventually leads to the Lord's discipline. That they had been grumbling for years and years and years about every little thing, and it led to the Lord's discipline. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The first thing that I think of when I hear snakes is the Garden of Eden, right? The snake, how he deceived Eve and then deceived Adam, was the same thing here. Adam and Eve didn't trust the plan of God. That God said, I have provided all of this food for you. Every plant is yours except this one tree. Don't eat of the knowledge of good and evil. And they couldn't trust God to tell them what is good and evil. They had to know for themselves. So they ate of the fruit. In the same way here, the people didn't trust the plan of God. That God said, I am going to lead you into the promised land. They wanted it then. They wanted it their way. They didn't trust his plan. And it led to death just like it did in the garden. That because in the garden, Adam and Eve didn't trust the plan of God, it led to death. When we don't trust the plan of God, it leads to death. It leads to ruin. The fruit of the serpent always leads to death. No matter how beautiful it looks, it always leads to death. Eve, when she was looking at the fruit of the tree, she saw that it looked good to her eyes, that it would be good for food, that it would make her wise. No matter how beautiful the fruit of the serpent looks, it will always lead to death. And there's communal consequences to our sin. It doesn't just affect us. Sin affects the atmosphere of a community. Have you ever been at a job and there's someone there like me, who was complaining the whole time he was there. It makes work less enjoyable for everyone around them, right? It changes the atmosphere. The atmosphere is just, no, I don't like that. And public sin, it encourages more people to participate in that sin. If there's a group of people doing this thing over here and you feel left out, it, it makes you want to participate too. You're like, am I the weirdo here? I want to participate in that. It has communal consequences. And the consequences of sin affects more than the person who sinned. This is always true. Even, no matter how private you think the sin is, the consequences will always affect more than you. In Scripture, it gives an analogy of the church as the body of Christ. So imagine if, if there's a, a physical body and a virus infects a part of that body is it just that one part that's going to suffer? No, the whole body is going to be infected with this virus. In the same way, your individual sin affects the entire body and whoever is around you. And sin breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with the people around us. And it breaks our relationship with the earth. 
that every, every sort of relationship we could have is broken by sin. And that's why the discipline of the Lord is grace. The discipline of the Lord is grace because of the negative impacts of sin. We can all agree that sin is evil, that, that we have all been sinned against at one point, and it hurt, it was painful, it negatively impacted us. Well, this is the good news that God loves us enough to not just leave us where we are, but that he would discipline us to try to push us further into his image, to try to cleanse us of the sin that we are born with. Discipline is a cleansing process. And the scripture says that the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. That if you are feeling the Lord's discipline right now, don't lose heart. Don't give up because the Lord loves you. That he is trying to grow you. He's trying to mature you. He is trying to shape you into his image through this process. So the Lord disciplines his people and what happens? Let's read verse 7. Then the Lord came to Moses, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So the people, they had committed this communal sin against the Lord and against Moses, and they repented communally for their sin. They all came before Moses. They said, we have sinned greatly. Would you go to the Lord on our behalf? And they named their sin. They said, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. They listed the thing that they have done. They didn't make excuses or blame anyone else. They took accountability for it. They said, I have sinned. And because of their sin, the people needed an intercessor. They needed someone to go to God on their behalf. So Moses went and he pleaded their cause to God. If we sin, we also need an intercessor. We need someone to go to God on our behalf. But we have an intercessor greater than Moses. Because where Moses was a human, we have an intercessor who was both human and fully God. And who better to go to God on our behalf than God himself? That Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he intercedes for his people. He is pleading their cause. He is saying, they are forgiven because I have died on the cross for their sin. If you are looking for judgment, look no further than the cross. Because I have swallowed up the wrath on the cross. We have a great intercessor. Let's look at verse 6. How the Lord responds to the people's repentance. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, bitten, a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. The first thing that sticks out to me about this is that the Lord answered when his people called. 
that his people had been unfaithful time and time again as we go through the book of Exodus and Numbers. They had, they had failed over and over and over again. Yet when they repented, in that moment, the Lord answered them. That they called out, they said, we have sinned against you. And he came to their aid right in that moment. Even through their rebellion, when they humbled themselves, the Lord answered them. And he provided life to his people through the bronze snake. This is kind of ironic because the snakes were the ones that were causing the death, right? And then the thing that they were supposed to lift up to be healed of their sickness was a snake. That they would put a bronze snake up in the air. The Lord used the symbol of death to bring life to his people. Where else did he do this? That Jesus, the symbol of death, the cross, Jesus on the cross dying provides life for his people. That through his bloodshed, we are cleansed. That through his perfect obedience, we get that perfect record. And that through his sacrificial death on the cross, we receive forgiveness and we receive the same life that he received when he raised from the dead. That we don't have to look forward to death and be afraid. That we can look forward with hope, knowing that just as Jesus raised on the third day, so we will all raise up on the last day and we will be with him. So no matter how much they complained or accused God in this passage, if they looked to the bronze serpent, they would be healed. No matter what they had done, if they looked to that serpent, they were healed. What's the, what's the deal with, the, with this bronze snake? It, se- it seems kind of weird. There's, there's, this, um, there's this thing in, in this principle in studying the Bible that says Scripture interprets Scripture. So if you come to a passage and you're a little bit confused by what it's talking about, see if you can find another passage talking about the same thing that's a little bit more clear and that might interpret what the other scripture is trying to say. Well, Jesus actually addresses this very story in John chapter 3 and he points it back to himself. In John chapter 3 verse 14, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He says, "Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him would have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we can all say that we have been bitten by the snake of sin. That sin has even from a young age, has corrupted the way that we think, the way that we treat people, the way that we respond to certain situations. We have all been bitten by the snake of sin. 
And this poison is flowing through our veins, leading to death. But Jesus drank the full cup of death on the cross so that we could be healed. He drank the cup of wrath that we deserved so that we could be freed from this slavery to sin, so that the poison that is in our veins of sin would be taken out of us and that we could be cleansed, we could be healed. This is the grace of Jesus, that he drank the cup that we deserved. And so if we repent and we look to Jesus the same way that the Israelites repented and they looked to that bronze snake, we can have eternal life. Not just life, not just be okay. We can have eternal life. And Jesus will cleanse us of our sins. And so the the question that this passage uh, makes me think is, what am I looking to for life? What is the thing that I'm looking to for satisfaction, for joy, for peace? What is that thing? And if it's not Jesus, why not? Because Jesus is the one who can provide true life. He's the one who provides eternal life. So look to Jesus. Jesus was speaking in John chapter 17. He said, this is eternal life, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, eternal life is to know me. Eternal life is to have a relationship with me. Eternal life is to bring your burdens to me because I am the only one strong enough to handle it. That you can look to all other things in this world, but nothing can bear the weight of our sin like Jesus. Jesus is the one who can give us eternal life. And so, I think what this passage is calling us to do is to confess and repent. That we need to repent of the ways that we have trusted in other things other than Jesus. And repentance is not just a one-time thing. A lot, I grew up in the church, I, I thought repentance was a thing where you do it when you first start following Jesus and then you're good for the rest of your life. That's what I thought. I was naive. Repentance is a thing that is going to continually happen for the rest of your life because there's constantly going to be influences around you that are causing you to think the wrong things, causing you to do the wrong things, respond in the wrong ways. Repentance is not one time, it's continual. And it takes time. It's, it's not just going to happen in a moment. It, it takes time to really think about it. Lord, what are the ways in which I have sinned against you or against the people that I am spending my time with? In Psalm 139, the psalmist wrote, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Seeking repentance takes time. It takes intentionality to set apart time to really search your heart. Lord, where are the ways in which I have failed? Where, what are the lies that I am believing right now? And then we have this good news from the scriptures. 
And we read it already this morning. That's, that's, why, that's why confessing our sins is part of our regular service because it, it brings life. This is from 1 John. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's our hope this morning, that if we repent, that Jesus is faithful to cleanse us and to forgive us because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the, the promises that we have seen in Scripture this morning. Thank you for the warnings that we've seen in Scripture. I pray that we would heed those warnings that we would, we would really believe that if we, choose, if we choose to follow the serpent, Lord, it will lead to death. But thank you that you have provided a way of eternal life, that we can know you, that we can have a relationship with you, we can put our burdens on you. Thank you that you love us and thank you that you care for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.